<laughs> At least they're coming to ask questions. Yeah. <laughs> comments. I watched they have the whole movie was comments. <laughs> it's on, it's on. Okay. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Oh, it's off here. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله وجاءت رسل ربنا بالحق وصدق المرسلون وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله قل اللهم مالك الملك تؤتي الملك من تشاء وتنزع الملك ممن تشاء وتعز من تشاء وتذل من تشاء بيدك الخير إنك على كل شيء قدير وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا ومولانا وهادينا ونبينا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبد الله ورسوله أرسله بشيرا ونذيرا وداعيا إلى الله بإذنه وسراجا منيرا من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له ومن يعتصم بالله فقد هدي إلى صراط مستقيم أما بعد Dear committed Muslims We have many problems in the Muslim world. We have those problems that are at the local level. We have them transcontinental. And we're not here obviously to solve all of these problems. As much as we can, we are here to understand ourselves and break through the barrier of ignorance and misinformation that has contributed to the status quo that we suffer from. As we said in a sequence of khutbahs some time ago, much of the problems that we are suffering from, much of these problems can be traced all the way back to the hadith literature. Because all of the Muslims, without any exception, all of them believe in the finality and the faultlessness of the Qur'an. 
The ayah in the Qur'an tells us as much. Another ayah, the Qur'an, does not have any falsehood. Whether you look at whether it comes from the front or from the rear. So our issues when we encounter two Muslim individuals or two Muslim communities or two Muslim countries, when we look at the back and forth between these two sides, we find that most of the differences or the friction comes from the Hadith literature. We don't, we said this before and we're going to say it again, we don't cast any doubt on what the Prophet said. Whatever he said is binding on all Muslims. The issue is how do we authenticate or verify what he said? That becomes an issue. The reason I am revisiting this subject is because of the well-financed mentality and attitude that has distanced itself from Allah's Prophet emotionally and compassionately while at the same time attributing its school of thought as if it has a monopoly on the hadiths of the Prophet. And obviously what we mean by these types of people are those who come from the religious institutions that are officially sponsored and financed by the regimes in the Arabian Peninsula. One of their scholars, just in this past month or so, said that Muslims, listen to this very closely, the, uh, before I say what he said, there's an ayah in the Qur'an that is very clear, all Muslims recite it, all Muslims should understand it. The ayah says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا صَلُّوا عَلَيْهِ وَسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا An ayah. This is not something historical or cultural or traditional or pertaining to a particular school of thought. This is an ayah. And Allah is commanding الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا to express their benediction, their dua for the Prophet and to submit to him وَسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا This is a given. 
When this ayah was revealed, this is when you go back to the same books of hadith that these people claim that they have a monopoly on. When this ayah was revealed, the people around the Prophet asked him, how do we express this salah towards you? And the Prophet explained and taught them. Say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad. All the Islamic schools of thought that have survived 14 centuries, all the Islamic schools of thought that are followed by the Muslims of today, in their salah, their salah is invalid if they don't say Allah in their salah, if they don't say Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad. Now, this plays out in different forms in a salah. But the bare minimum is in what is called a salah al-Ibrahimiyya. After the tashahud, the last tashahud in the salah, all of the Muslims that are listening to some of these wayward scholars in the Arabian Peninsula, all of them, they say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad. كما صليت على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم وبارك على محمد وآل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد There's a, just slight different wordings but the sentence اللهم صلي على محمد وآل محمد is considered a fundamental integral part of a salah. If you don't say it, your salah is invalid by the agreement of all the fuqaha. Now, there is one of these Saudi scholars who is speaking to the public and he's saying, Muslims should not say, and listen to this closely, and I'm being as accurate in English as his statement was in Arabic. He said, Muslims should not say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad. He was asked, but I mean, so what should they say? Because this is something new. No one has heard of something like this before. He said, either you say, this is his answer, either you say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, sallallahu ala Muhammad, and you stop there, or if you want to say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad, you say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi. So you have a choice. Either you omit the word Al-Muhammad and you are satisfied with Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, that's it. Or if you want to use the word Al, you have to follow that by the word Sahab. 
or ashab. That's this is this is the problem that we have. And then he goes on to say, listen to this. We should not, we meaning the Muslims, should not be giving any type of credibility to the Shi'is. In his mind, if a Muslim says, Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad, that means somehow in his mind, Muslims are giving credibility to the Shi'is. So they should not say it like that. Even though these people who spend all of their lives in the books of hadith should know better and should not say something like that but this is, these are the types of quote unquote scholars that we have so we have a problem here and this is just the surface this is the symptom this is a symptom of the problem if we want to go back and take a look at the origins of this problem the origins of this problem is in the compilation of the hadith literature the hadiths of the prophet were not written when he spoke them they were written a generation and generations later and many of these hadiths were written by recalling the meaning of the hadith not the verbatim of the hadith a person heard the prophet say a hadith or heard someone else who heard the prophet say the hadith or heard a few other people in a couple of or few other generations that followed that relay the hadith to the prophet and being that the hadith itself was not written the way the Quran was written when the Quran was spoken the, the Quran was written but when the hadith was spoken it was not written so the body of hadiths that we have are more or less an effort a human effort has nothing to do with Allah's Prophet it's a human effort by individuals who with good intentions or less than good intentions said that the Prophet said such and such a hadith that's what we have and when we go back you see to give credibility to the body of hadiths that we have there was a science that's what it's called there was a science ilm al-rijal a science that has to do with personalities so the scrutinizing of these personalities is what gives a particular hadith its weight or its authenticity or its fallacious character that's it's not what the prophet said all muslims submit that they are duty bound to go with the prophet's instructions but when some people come along 
generations later and they say the prophet said such and such a thing when the prophet did not say such and such a thing and all of this now we have in our possession and there has not been up until this very day there hasn't been a combined sincere inclusive effort by the Muslim scholars to weed out and filter hadith, the weed out the false hadith, and filter hadith literature altogether. That has not occurred up until now. And we need it because this bad feeling that we Muslims have among ourselves, we can trace it, we can trace much of it to this source. Let me just touch on one of the personalities that we have in our history who caused a lot of damage in hadith literature. This person is well known as Ka'b al-Ahbar. His name is Ka'b ibn Mata' al-Himyari, originally from Yemen. The person's from Yemen. He's known by, he's called Abu Ishaq. He was a senior rabbi in the Yahudi community in Yemen, in the Arabian Peninsula. He became a Muslim during the time of Omar, the second successor to Allah's Prophet. He lived in Al-Madinah and he even accompanied the Muslims when they went to Al-Quds, Jerusalem, when it was liberated during the reign of Omar. When Uthman became the decision maker of the Muslims, Kaab al-Ahbar went to Asham. He went to Damascus during Uthman's reign. And Muawiyah, the governor there in Damascus, received him. And he appointed him as one of his advisors. Why? Because this person was a scholar who has, a Yahudi scholar who has become a Muslim. This should tell us in our time to be very cautious if there is a Yahudi scholar who becomes a Muslim, we have to learn from our history. We're not, I'm not speaking this for the fun of it or just because this is some type of story. This is a lesson that we have to learn from. So this Kaab al-Ahbar became, entered the inner circle, the inner circle of Muawiyah. And he was given a free hand to speak, to express his knowledge to the public. So he gained a stature of a person who is a scholar and can speak with authority on issues that are historic and on issues that are Islamic. This is how these less than authentic hadiths 
entered hadith literature. And it wasn't just Ka'b al-Ahbar. There was another person called Wahib ibn Munabbih. Wahib ibn Munabbih also comes from Yemen. You look at what's happening in today's world and you will get the feeling that there is some type of payback that is occurring. That's, but that's another discourse. Wahib ibn Munabbih and please don't we say sometimes when we get on uh, when we want to mention certain countries certain individuals become riled they, it touches on their nerves uh, it has nothing to do with touching on anyone's nerves we're trying to relate to you some of the issues here part of the history of Yemen was there was a type of war between east and west part of that war had its clashes inside of Yemen to be more specific and please throw away your nationalism and your culture for a moment so you can see the facts part of this clash was between the Persian Empire and the Roman Empire the Roman Empire used its protégés in what's called today Ethiopia al-Habasha to claim Yemen and so there were clashes in Yemen. During that time, the Kisra of Persia sent contingents to Yemen. Among those who were sent were this person's father and grandfather. And this person was a scholar. Wahib ibn Munabbih was a scholar. A scholar, not in the Islamic sense, a scholar in the sense that he had a lot of information in his head. And having a lot of information in your head does not by itself qualify you to become what we call a alim or a faqih with the honorary status that it has. So Wahab ibn Munabbih knew he lived in the communities of Jews and Christians in Yemen. He learned Greek. He was conversant in Greek. He became a Muslim. And once again, just like what happened with Ka'b al-Ahbar, happened with this person. When someone comes from a Yahudi or a Nasrani or a superpower background, when someone comes from a superpower background and becomes a Muslim, we have an inferiority in us. We have to check this inferiority. So what? So what? We're all Muslims. We're all in this together. It's not like, you know, some star fell from the heavens and now we have some exceptional person among us. But this is what happened. Muslims considered then and still consider today those people who have degrees, advanced degrees from these institutions of istikbar all over the place. 
If one of them becomes a Muslim, oh my God. No one pays attention to the poor person who becomes a Muslim who maybe is collecting your trash every week. That person becomes a Muslim who pays attention to him. Where do you find any literature written about him? So this reflects on who we are. It reflects on our psychology. These individuals, they became Muslims and then they were, cons they were raised, their status was raised. They became scholars now who began to interject in our hadith literature their own opinions. And the other one was Abdullah ibn Salam. Another, these, Abdullah ibn Salam was a rabbi, a senior rabbi in Al-Madina. And he became a Muslim. I'm not saying that these three are on the same level. What I'm trying to say is we still have not filtered these individuals who contaminated our hadith literature with hadiths that the Prophet never said. And we mentioned quite a few of these hadiths in that series on the hadith that we gave some time ago. One of these, there's another person, these, these individuals, they interjected into our Islamic books what we call today Isra'iliyat, Talmudic information that became hadiths. There's another person, his name is Tamim Ad-Dari. He interjected into the hadith literature Nasraniyat. Isra'iliyat is information that comes from the Talmud. Nasraniyat is information that comes from books that they claim to be the Bible or the New Testament and all of this you would you should ask yourself why isn't it after all of these years we have not had a serious effort by the Muslims to filter the hadith literature from hadiths that are causing us to hate each other and then to kill each other. So that's what's happening. It's not an issue of dealing with one person. We have fanatics all over the place. Fanatics are to be found all over. What, what happens if you deal with that one person? You just dealt with a person. But the fanatic factory, the information that generates fanatics is still there you have to go to the factory itself and neutralize it so it will not give birth to more fanatics and this is how we get to the source of the problem let me try to wind up this first khutbah by the attitude in the Arabian Peninsula that is has a lot of money 
They're running out of it, but they still have a lot of money. They look at some of these hadiths. There are hadiths in the books of hadiths that say to the effect that whoever لا يبغضنا أحد يبغضنا meaning أهل البيت there's no one who hates أهل البيت except that he will enter the fire that's one hadith I'm just sufficing satisfying the khutbah with one hadith some of these attitudes in the Arabian princesses that's you know that's not acceptable they want to take this these are the hadith they want to take issue with when it comes to expressing support and affiliation and love for the prophet and his extended family they get nervous why do you want to do something so they look at a hadith like this that is in their books of hadiths or in our books of hadiths they take a look at it and say no but we don't think this hadith is a valid hadith according to their own ilm al-rijal according to their own measurements for what a hadith is sahih and what is not these hadiths are sahih but then they come and they say no we, we, we think this, this is not, you know, it's not correct. And then they, this is how they argue. He said, okay, what if, what if, if there's a person who is in Australia or in the jungles of Africa who doesn't know anything about the Prophet or his household or he read some information that makes him hate the Prophet, not hate, but show no affection to the prophet and his household is he going to go to the fire obviously is this what happens when a hadith is quoted and when it is understood out of context this is how wild the mind begins to go this has to be understood in context obviously this hadith is meant for the Muslims. Any Muslim who shows disaffection or aloofness or dislike or indifference to the Prophet and his Al and Ahl al-Bayt Ashab al-Kisa Say whatever you want However you want to title them Whoever Does such a thing Has an attitude like that Will enter the fire By the wording of the hadith The question is Why would a Muslim Enter the fire if he doesn't show any admiration and affection for the Prophet and Ahl Baytihi, why would he be subject to entering the fire? 
when he says ashhadu an la ilaha illallah when he prays and fasts and does all of these things why would that be the case well let's take iblis himself the devil himself did the devil ever argue that there's multiple gods did anyone come across any ayah that the shaitan says there's more than one god shaitan was not a mushrik in the theological sense the way people he knew allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he knew allah probably more than most of the committed muslims of all time so why was he condemned he was condemned because he disobeyed allah for that he is doomed and damned because he disobeyed allah on one issue usjud li adam i'm not going to do that why are you not going to do that ana khayrun minhu i'm better than he is shaitan did he have any wrong information in his head he had all the information that any scholar however high they may be will have will ever have it wasn't the information it wasn't the mind of a shaitan that led it leads him to jahannam it's the psychology of a shaitan that leads him to jahannam because of his kibr because of his arrogance because of his ego because of his self-centeredness and when you think about why people i'm not talking about everyone i'm talking about these talking heads that come over the air and they say if you want to say allahumma salli ala muhammadin wa ali muhammad you can't say that you all you either say Allahumma salli ala Muhammad period or you say Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi why do people why are individuals like that why are they so bothered you'll find that there's a similarity between them their attitude and the attitude of iblis there's some type of kibar or kibr some people say istikbar there's some type of arrogance and ego in them that made them just on one issue conflict with allah and here since the time of muawiyah we the muslims since almost 14 centuries ago we have been most of us have been indifferent or passive or aloof or inconsiderate when it comes to the prophet's legitimate descendant rulers of course this has many details to it 
But skipping the historical details that many of us read either out of tradition or out of culture, we don't read it with our mind, having the Islamic heart that we have. When, the, when correct information mixes with the correct attitude, then we have the desired Muslim, the desired committed Muslim. But when we don't have that, we've been all, all along, since the time of Muawiyah, our rituals have become our standard Islam. Our rituals are our salah, our siyam, our zakah, our hajj, all of these, these are supposed to recharge us. They are a means to an end. They are not the end themselves. إِنَّ الصَّلَاةَ تَنْهَا عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ وَالْبَغِي الصَّلَاةَ deters from fahshaa' and munkar and baghi. Why do we have people praying? Maybe hundreds of rak'at. And they are responsible for fahshaa' and munkar and baghi. Their policies are defined by, by fahshaa' and munkar and baghi. They have strategies Immorality in society? Where's the salah? What does it do with immorality? Munkar, the social vices. Baghi, the military attacks and wars. Where's their salah? If their salah is not deterring them from al-fahsha, al-munkar, al-baghi, they're malfunctioning. They malfunction. And that's what we have, malfunctioning Muslims. They pray, they fast, they do all of this. Those are the means. But are they getting to the objectives? The ayat in the Quran that end, لَعَلَّهُمْ يَهْتَدُونَ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ All of these, where? Where are we moving in that direction and reaching that end? It's about time we begin to clean our own house and be able to look at these facts. And when someone mentions Kaab al-Ahbar, we know who he is and what he did, as well as the other Israeliyat that are used nowadays to divide the Muslims and to victimize them in wars that are claimed hundreds of thousands and millions of lives. Inna Allah wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala al-Nabi Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima Allahumma salli ala muhammadin wa ali muhammad Aqulu qawli hadha Astaghfirullaha li wa lakum Ud'uhu subhanah وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة الحمد لله الذي هدى وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا المصطفى وعلى آله وصحبه أولي النهى والتقى 
they're committed Muslims. When we begin to read and understand Allah and His Prophet without any conflict between the ayat and the ahadith, and if there is some conflict between an ayah and the hadith, the ayah stands and the hadith does not. When we take a look at the rulers in the Arabian Peninsula who are programming the friction and the factionalism among the Muslims, when we take a look at them, in one sense we pity them because they are digging their graves with their own policies. In this past week, the lawyers in this country went to work filing the legal papers against Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates because they say they are responsible for 9-11. 3,000 people were killed in 9-11. 20,000 people, people were hurt or injured or damaged in one way or the other. And they want to take all of this to court. And some... Remember, these rulers in these countries are the ones now that are supporting U.S. policies, Israeli policies that are wrong, killing and killer policies. And that didn't do them any good. So what? What if you are supporting our policies? You have to pay. Okay, we'll buy some of your weapons, $450 million dollars. In the news they told us just before Ramadan, the week before Ramadan, we were told they signed on the dotted line and all of this weaponry is going to go to them. $450 billion. That's not enough. They want more. They act like Jahannam. Halim Talati Qalat Hal Min Mazid. Are you full? Allah says to Jahannam. She says back, is there more? And this is the way they're acting. They want more. They want those trillions of dollars to go their way. Well, they want to auction off. They're saying now they want to auction off 5% of Aramco. That's, that, that's the appetizer. That's only for starters. The, after all of this jasta, this law here, to take them to court, they're probably going to have to auction off their whole kingdom and they won't survive. At a time when these police states, that's what they are, police states, police kingdoms, at the time when they are attacking innocent people in the eastern part of that kingdom, their foreign minister 
and the foreign minister of the Islamic Republic of Iran are shaking hands in Istanbul. At the same time, they are attacking Muslims, killing them, displacing them, oppressing them, discriminating against them in the eastern part of that kingdom. They receive an Islamic scholar from Iraq, Sayyid Muqtada al-Sadr. Is this a step that indicates that the rulers, the family rulers in Arabia are changing their policies? Some people may think that is the case. The government in Qatar last week said that the Hajj should be internationalized at a time when Qatar is saying the government of Saudi Arabia should have no control whatsoever over Mecca and Al Medina. At the same time that they are doing that, the government in Saudi Arabia has reached an accommodation with the Islamic Republic to have the Hujjaj, the pilgrims this year, go from the Islamic Republic to Mecca and Al Medina. As far as we know, up until this day, there's 11,000 pilgrims in Al Medina from the Islamic Republic. There's been 45,000 visas that have been issued so far. For the first time, we are told in these news items, for the first time, 15,000 Iranians who are Sunnis are going to the Hajj in one season. That's a record, hasn't happened before. Is Saudi Arabia trying to outfox the fox? No, 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 no. The ambassador that they have in Cairo offers 100 visas with all that goes with it to journalists in Egypt to go to perform the Hajj. They're speaking right now about opening a Saudi consulate in Al-Najaf and appointing a new ambassador in Baghdad. What happened? All of these developments are taking place. What happened to the sectarians in the kingdom of oil. What happened to the mouths of these sectarians? The wife of the defunct Shah goes to Egypt. The person is buried there. She sneaks in and out, maybe to read the Fatiha for her deceased husband. But no one mentions anything about some type of Murtadda, some type of Shia coming to Egypt. No one even notices it. Recently, in the past week, the Shi'i 
Iraqi Islamic scholar, Muqtada Sadr, goes to Saudi Arabia. Not one word, one word of sectarianism from the sectarians in the Arabian Peninsula against what they call a Rafidi, a Shi'i, a son of Mut'a, a Majusi. All of these derogatory words have been absent. Nothing. At a time when the Saudi government is placing its future in the hands of the Zionists and the imperialists, what happened to the ayat in the Quran about Mualat al-Kafirin? What happened to all of those ayat? The Zionists are killing us. The Zionists are expelling us. The Zionists have their plan on Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. إِنَّمَا يَنْهَاكُمْ عَنِ الَّذِينَ قَاتَلُوكُمْ وَأَخْرَجُوكُمْ مِنْ دِيَارِكُمْ أَنْ تَبَرُّوهُمْ وَتُقْصِطُوا إِلَيْهِمْ What happened to these ayat? لَا تَتَّخِذُوا بِطَانَةً مِنْ دُونِكُمْ وَمَنْ يَتَوَلَّهُمْ مِنْكُمْ فَإِنَّهُ مِنْهُمْ where did these ayat go? Where? Why are the ulama silent when things like this are happening? Oh, but they say you have to be diplomatic. We heard that from Muawiyah. The first time we heard that, we heard it from Muawiyah. And now you are speaking Muawiyah's language. And you don't want anyone to discover that. What can we say? What is there to be said? And finally, what is what has shaken the decrepit kingdom to its foundations just in the past few days? The deputy of the chief of Hayat al-Amr bil-Ma'roof and al-Nahi an al-Munkar. They have a religious police in the disintegrating kingdom. The deputy of that chief in the eastern part of Saudi Arabia was killed. Of course, you didn't read this in the Washington Post. You didn't see it on CNN. And this was a couple of weeks. When he was killed, this was a couple of, ten days or so ago. And they found his body charred, meaning he was incinerated to death. But forensics and pathology, looking at the body by experts, they found there were bullets in his body. That deputy chief of Hayat al-Amr bil-Ma'roof and al-Nahi an al-Munkar, his body was found riddled with bullets, of course, burned also. So they began to investigate who did this. And they found out that the person who killed this deputy chief 
is his own son, a 17-year-old. They brought him to question him about the whole affair, and he confessed. He did that. And that this is causing a moral type of shake-up in that kingdom of filthy wealth. And that's only the tip of the iceberg. We don't know much. I mean, one of the news items, another one of these items that played on their social media is the personal guard of the king. The king right now left Saudi Arabia and he's spending his summer in, Mor in Morocco, in Tanja in Morocco. And some reports have it that when he goes back, if he goes back, his son will be the king. He, he will not be the king. But one of his bodyguards, he has a watch on. And some photographer took a picture of that watch and they found out that that watch is worth three million Saudi riyals, which roughly is around probably $800,000 to $900,000. That, that would not be an issue had it not been for the policies that the, this kingdom and that ruling family is showing towards Muslims who are in the neighborhood, who are dying. They're killing them using the military, using policies, even using the manabir. For people not to be aware of what's happening in real life. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'ah. Wa arina al-baatila baatilan warzuqna ijtinaabah. Wa la taj'alhum ultabisan alayna. Waj'alna lilmuttaqina imama. Rabbana la tu'akhidna inna sina aw akhta'na. ربنا ولا تحمل علينا إصرا كما حملته على الذين من قبلنا ربنا ولا تحملنا ما لا طاقة لنا به واعف عنا واغفر لنا وارحمنا أنت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم الكافرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد اللهم بارك على محمد وآل محمد اللهم صل على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم اللهم بارك على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم 
لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون يعلم خائنة الأعين وما تخفي الصدور وأقم الصلاة وأرحنا بها الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي للصلاة حي للفلاة قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله الله أكبر